Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. That was so weird, Judy. You just yawned and your dog just yawned. You know how you gave your dog the visual cue that I thought only works for humans, but apparently works for dogs, too. It does. It works for dogs. She is so in tune to me. She's watching me and follows my every move. It's also a good babysitting trick. It is, what? Oh, to get the kids to go to sleep? <laughs> yeah, yawn. Yeah. On today's show, we are, uh, wow. Is he going to be on, really? Did we book this guy? Okay, this is a coup, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to love this. He was the author of Does It Fart? And, you know, it was it was great to have him on then. Did we have him on then? We didn't yes. have him. We did? I we did. Oh, now his new book, True or Poo? The Definitive Field Guide to Filthy Animal Facts and Falsehoods. That's on today's show. You are so lucky that you just tuned in to Animal Radio. Also on today's show, I hate to say this, and we talk about it a lot, but the pet food that you buy at your store, it's crap. I'm not mincing words there. There's all kinds of stuff in it. I believe we're going to be reporting today about something that's just been found in pet food. Dr. Judy Morgan is going to be joining us. She says you should be cooking for your pet. I'll just I don't pop. cook for myself. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, it's too bad there's not a drive-through for our pets. You know, like fast food restaurant, we could just there's go. Some places I thought that were doing those little. That's not a bad idea if it's I good know. food. Uh, so she'll be on the show today. She'll tell us how to cook, and I'll ask her. You know, hey, I'm one of those people. I don't have a lot of time to cook. What can I cook for my animals that will be healthy? You know, that's a good idea. We should probably all learn to cook for our dogs because there is some new research out uh, from a Western University in the United States. And their report on the many testings that they have done of all different kinds of dog and cat food, canned and kibble, they don't have a good report. But we'll tell you what they found. Okay. Stick around for that. Toll free one eight six six four zero five eight four zero five. All the lines are lit up. Isn't this exciting? Which one? Line three. Lee, welcome to the show. Yes, I actually have three questions regarding three different dogs. Oh, wow. Okay. My first dog, my first concern is my golden retriever. She's five years old. She's had two operations in her ears so far. She keeps getting uh, uh, hematomas in her ears. Oh, okay. And they tell me, keep her out of the water. She does what? Keep her out of the water. Oh, okay. She swims a lot, huh? She does. She likes to go play in the water, but when she gets in the water, she gets water in her ears, and that's where the problem happens. What have you done for the hematoma? Well, like I said, she's had two operations to, you know, to have a tube put in there and have them drained. Okay. The reason I ask is with these hematomas, which basically it's a big blood blister that forms in the flap of the ear between the skin and the cartilage, it can be treated a lot of different ways. And there's a lot of, you ask 10 different veterinarians how they like to treat your hematoma, and they'll get, give you each a different answer because there is really no right and wrong way. It's, it's right. what you feel comfortable with. So some folks will drain them. Some people put little stents in. Um, some people do a surgery where we open it up and we do what called crusting sutures um, and then there's even medical ways that we'll treat with injections of steroids or types of oral medication so phew so if you tried it twice and it's still coming back you know what I got to tell you is well, you've got a dog with skin disease there well really the, the main thing I want to know right now I've, right now I've got it under control as long as I keep her out of the water she does fine my main my main problem right now is how do I keep water out of her ears you know can I do they have 
earmuffs or something I can put over her ears. Something yeah. so I can keep the water out. You know what? I don't think your goal is going to be to keep the water out of her ears because it's not that simple. Ear hematomas are really caused by skin disease and ear infections. Um, and because we're talking about a retriever, um, ear infections are often due to allergic skin disease or food allergies, things like that. So you can stuff her ears full of cotton and use an ear rinse that's a drying agent after she's in water. But I'm going to tell you, those efforts are probably not going to stop these hematomas from recurring. And I, I wish it would, um, but it's probably not the reality. The, the things that I would really encourage you, and, and we kind of are talking a lot about skin today here. It's you know, it, it's a it's a big topic because a, a lot of our pets have allergic skin. Disease disease and that can manifest in ear infections um, things that cause them to shake their head and where they get these hematomas on there um, as well as other types of skin scratching and itching so for me I would say let's try to get some allergic skin disease under control check your baby for thyroid disease if it's not already been done because that can be a real cause of recurrent ear infections in many of these retrievers and I would really say that's going to be the biggest thing that I can recommend for for this baby here okay okay all right, my other question is another dog I have. It's, uh, well, she was found on my doorstep one day, and I just kind of adopted her. Uh, the vets say that she's a chihuahua, but she doesn't look like anything like a chihuahua. She almost looks like part wiener dog and part chihuahua, maybe. But they okay. say she's full-blood chihuahua. She's long. She's, she's longer. Anyway, the question is, is when, when my other golden retriever likes to lay down, I have two golden retrievers, by the way. When one of the other golden retrievers lays down on the ground, you know, just sitting out in the front yard or whatever, this chihuahua will, will get up on her back. She'll crawl up on the back real gently, and uh, she kind of, like, starts, like, humping her almost. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she does this only to this dog, and the golden retriever just kind of lays there, and she acts like she loves it, you know? It's like she's scratching her back or rubbing her back or something. Well, God normal? bless her, man. That's determination, I'm telling you. <laughs> but it's a man. It's a female dog. Okay. My, so they're both female dogs? Females. You said they're both females? Yeah, they're all females. Okay. All right. Well, mounting and humping is also a sign of dominance. So it doesn't matter that your little baby's a tiny little chihuahua. Um, she's actually found a physical way to demonstrate that by humping. And uh, the reason your other dog is probably tolerant to that is she accepts that as a display of her subordinate position to the chihuahua. So um, I have that happen around my household where I have a 90-pound dog and, you know, a little 12-pounder. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's sometimes where size really doesn't matter. It's the attitude behind the body. So that's all that is. <laughs> Okay, okay, so there's really nothing to do to stop it, just kind of let her enjoy herself. Yeah, and, and try not to think of it like a sexual thing. It, it really is. It's just kind of like, um, you know, she's just putting your other dog in its paces, just saying, hey, you know, I'm just telling you, I'm in charge here. Um, so, yeah, it's really not anything that she's uh, oversexed or anything like that. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Now, my other question is, I have a brand-new Chihuahua teacup. Oh, okay. Uh, she's 11 weeks old. Uh, I've got... Uh, my, my daughter's got one, my wife's got one, and my other daughter have, has one. Anyway, when they all three play together, my daughters are trying to stop these dogs from growling when they play, the three pups. You know, they take a little Just... squirt bottle and squirt them when they, when they start growling. Is this a way to stop them from growling? No, you know what? Part of part of that is just they're having fun. They're having and fun. 
Yes, just like we're talking. Now, there may be a point where the growling can be a signal of things escalating, and that would be what I watch for. But just growling, you know, there are some dogs that are just, they sound like they're tearing each other up, but they're still playful. You know, you watch their ear and their tail posture. They're just having a good time, and they're just role-playing. So the growling doesn't bother me at all. And uh, I tell your wife to put the squirt gun down and just just put the earplugs in herself. <laughs> okay, that was that was what I wanted to know, and I appreciate it. All righty, glad Thank we could you. help. And, and you. if you have a question, we're waiting for you here at Animal Radio. So give us a call one eight six six four zero five eight four zero five. Don't forget, you can also ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. Now, Doctor Debbie, you just came in from interviewing job applicants. I guess you're hiring new staff to handle all of the. Uh, influx that will happen after the holidays with all the animals, oh. of course. Uh, it starts like this weekend, doesn't it? Oh, Is yeah. It- and, it, and it continues for a good while because, you know, people have food and candy all around at this time of the year. So we see a good amount of things. Uh, dogs are getting into chocolate, eating um, wrappers or even like sucker sticks, um, things like that, or eating things that are holding the candy. So I had a dog that ate through a kind of like a uh, cloth bag in just a part of the bag because the candy was stored in it, and they were just so like frantic to get to the food that they shredded the bag. So, what, what about the xylitol? I heard another couple of dogs yeah. just uh, croaked because of xylitol, which is what, a sugar substitute? It's a sugar substitute. And, then, you know, it used to be only we found it in like diabetic foods, sugar-free foods. But if you look at the checkout, when you're checking out, how many different sugar-free gums have xylitol in it? It's staggering. Those should have big, bold warnings. Xylitol can cause um, a very serious low blood sugar effect. Uh, pets will seizure, go into a coma, and they can die. And they can even go on, if they survive that, they can still develop like a liver failure situation. So it always frustrates me when I look for a gum for my household. I'm always like, oh, it's got xylitol. Not coming in my house. Because how many people believe their purse is on the floor oh, or on the ground yeah. and their dog could get into that kind of stuff? So, See, in this one case, it was a dog that had picked up chewed gum that somebody had spit out. Oh, and that's sidewalk. a thing. Yeah, yeah what, when I walk dogs, they do there. They're so fast to snatch something up off the ground before you can even see what it was. And if somebody has thrown some chewed gum on the ground, they can, you know, ingest that. Okay. As much as I love you, Dr. Debbie, I'm warning listeners, stay out of Dr. Debbie's office this week. (laughs) In all bad offices this week. Right. Yeah. Keep your pets safe. Keep the candy out of reach and keep them away from that busy front door when you have the trick-or-treaters. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. And now an Animal Radio News Brief. Obesity, not just a problem for Americans, it's a problem for pets, too. According to the latest National Pet Obesity Awareness Day survey, over half of both dogs and cats in the U.S. are overweight. 52% of dogs tip the scales at what their vet would consider to be overweight or obese, along with 58% of cats. These figures account for about 80 million dogs and cats who are living under the care of Americans who are also at increased risk for disorders like diabetes and hypertension. And in cats, the study found a significant escalation escalation in the number of type 2 diabetes and dogs. Certain breeds like Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers were found to be at greater risk for obesity than others. It's just their body type. I have a lab who's a little chubby too. I mean, he eats the same as my Jack Russell and my other mixed breed dog, but he's still kind of chunky. You know, you try to keep him uh, slim. Best thing is get those dogs out to run around. 
This has been an Animal Radio News Brief. Get more at animalradio.pet. Hey there, I'm a glue stick, so I have one job. I glue kid stuff. So sorry for being jealous of Geico, who does a ton more, like give you 24-7 access to thousands of licensed agents. And Geico has been around for over 75 years and has a 97% customer satisfaction rating. While I've just got mediocre adhesive skills, Geico also has an award-winning mobile app. Uh-oh, arts and crafts time. No eating the glue stick, Miss Lydia. Geico, expect great savings and a whole lot more. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. It's Animal Radio. Celebrating the connection with our pets, our animals, our insects. Yeah, there are people that have insects as pets, aren't there, Dr. Debbie? Yeah, they sure are, and they love them, and they do it on their their insects just like any other pet. They're uh, and they're very easy, low maintenance to take care of. Are usually, <laughs> most of the you, yes. you know what I guess there's uh, so much you can do for them, and maybe so much you can't do for them. <laughs> I understand that uh, you eat a piece of chocolate, you're eating a bunch of insects. There's a there's a certain allowable amount. The government allows a certain amount of insects in your chocolate. And mm, protein. Is, really? Is it, this is true. Oh, yeah. Wait, you didn't know that? The news lady no. didn't know that? Wow. No, yeah. I, no. And I love chocolate. Yeah, well, you didn't know. What you don't know won't hurt you. Just and, think of like chocolate-covered crickets. Sort of like that. <laughs> 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 but when you sleep, okay. when you sleep, you're sleeping at night, and you know, you ever get those little spider bites, little spider in bed or something like yeah, that? Yeah, you wake up with spider bites. And, of course, you're probably sleeping with your mouth open if you're an open mouth sleeper like that imagine how many spiders actually get into your mouth no yeah yeah that's a rumor that i'm trying to perpetrate right now is that true or poo yeah we will find out if it's true or poo because nick caruso he uh wrote the definitive field guide to filthy animal facts and falsehoods will tell us is the spider thing true or poo and that's coming up in just a few minutes here on animal radio was that a tease or what Woohoo! <laughs> that was a big tease. That was a big I am a big tease. You are a big tease. Huh? What, what are you working on? Tease us, Lori. Tease us. Does size matter? <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> We're talking about dogs, my friends. Okay. <laughs> big dogs or little dogs? What a new survey says that most of us prefer, we'll tell you. And I know we've all, in our own lives, have had... Big dogs and small dogs, so maybe we can weigh in on this. Okay, that's on the way. Let's go to the phones for your calls. Hi, Laura. Hello. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good. Where are you calling from? Maryland. Oh, how beautiful. Well, I've got the good doctor here. How can we help you? Well, I didn't want to over-vaccinate my three-year-old huskies, um, but uh, I didn't know what you thought about rabies. Okay, and whether yeah. we should do that all the time, and because she also will sometimes um, get rodents or what have you to get in the yard. Mm, okay. Well, definitely. I, and I can understand the concerns. Everyone's, you know, we don't want to do too much 
to hurt our pets. So there's a good point with vaccinations and there's a concern level. Now, at three years of age, if we have pets that are going outside, I, I guess I'm going to stick on the side of preventative medicine. And I think that vaccinations are going to be very important for your pets. Um, all that being said, there's other things that we would want to deal with as well. Now, rabies vaccination is a very big concern, and rabies is a huge problem across the country. So it is not something that I would ever recommend somebody just opt out of because they were choosing to. There might be some medical conditions where we might say, oh, maybe this might be dangerous for the pet, but uh, that's the rarity. Uh, for the average pet, rabies is a very big real concern. And in fact, there are stories all across the country of even puppies, kittens that come in and we find out have rabies, that they've been exposed to a wild animal, uh, an infected animal, and uh, sadly they're put to sleep. Um, it's a human health concern, so I really don't play around with rabies. Um, a lot of the wildlife vectors, the different animals carry this disease, so you do want to make sure you stay up with that vaccine very regularly, uh, every year to three years, depending on what state you live in. Um, other vaccines are definitely important as well. Um, but I'd say for what you're describing, if your dog is hunting critters that are coming into the yard, I would also want to make sure that we're doing regular deworming um, because there's a lot of these wild critters, rabbits, rodents, that can carry disease. Um, so we want to make sure we're treating regularly for intestinal parasites. Um, fortunately for most dogs, if we're giving a monthly heartworm preventative, um, many of those products actually take care of that kind of deworming as well. Some don't cover everything, though, so we have to be a bit vigilant with that in adding in other products. Um, the, I guess the other concerns I'd have kind of fall into things like flea and tick um, because we know that rodents can carry um, fleas and that can harbor disease for not only pets but our, ourselves and uh, you know even like deer they can carry ticks and that can carry Lyme disease so we want to make sure that we're also using regular um, flea and tick control for your pets um, just so that when the wildlife crosses over into the backyard <laughs> that we can, we can make sure that doesn't pass to your pets or to yourself from there exactly and, uh, yeah, and I mean, as far as is there any other like health concern that they currently have that you're no. concerned oh, about none vaccination? At none at all. I just didn't want to overdo anything, you know. But I yeah. knew rabies was probably one I definitely had to keep up with and do, and just wanted to make yeah. sure. Yeah, and, and I'm really a fan of sticking to the regular vaccination protocols until a pet gets into more of their senior years. Um, so that might mean you're vaccinating for a disease every year or every couple years. Um, but as we get into the senior years, then I focus a little bit more on senior wellness care, which may not be vaccinating. We might do a vaccine titer instead. And a titer is basically a blood test that we test for potential antibody protection against a disease like parvovirus or distemper virus. And that might give us a little bit of an ease of mind, if you will, that um, you know an older pet doesn't need a vaccine because they've been protected and they've got good titers or a good level for that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I'd say make sure we keep those pets uh, healthy there, Laura, with the, the regular vaccination protocol and then the deworming. So... Thank you for your call today, 1-866-405-8405. 
Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind, and they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Our apologies if you have lost faith in pet food companies, as we talk about a lot on here, because this story is going to make those feelings worse. Uh, Researchers at the University of Nevada in Reno have been pondering the question, what is really in the food that our pets eat? The results of their very first study are kind of worrisome. In the first 100 samples they analyzed, 16 of those 100 had mercury concentrations that they say were well above the maximum tolerable limit. And it's kind of the same for humans, too, because in tuna, you're urged to only eat a couple of cans at most a month because there's so much mercury in it. We know that. But most of those high mercury levels were found in the fish-based cat foods and mostly the tuna cat food. Also, the high mercury levels, though, showed up in pet foods with salmon, whitefish, and shrimp. And it's not just in the cat food. They found high mercury levels in dog food and cat food, both canned and kibble. And that's not all. Genetic testing in some samples casts even further doubt on pet food labeling because they found that a well-known common brand of pet food labeled duck and potato they didn't give the brand name in this story, but was found to contain sheep. It's supposed to be duck and potato, and sheep was not on the ingredients label. So as you can imagine, no pet food company wants this study or this kind of study continue. So the researchers at the University of Nevada, Reno, are turning to you, the potential source of the biggest stake in finding these answers through crowdsourcing. You can find out more and follow their research. I've checked it out. It's on their Facebook page, Pet Food, Mercury, and Genetics Experiment at University of Nevada, Reno. It's a long title, but I think if you look up Pet Food, Mercury, and Genetics, you'll get to there. We'll put the link over at the website. Oh, thank you. Now, Now, in the meantime, they say their best advice is to feed your pet a variety of foods and cut down, if you can, on all fish-based formulas, especially tuna, which we know is hard because cats do love it. But Just because it's on the label doesn't mean it's real. And uh, I think we have to stand up for that for ourselves as well as for our pets' uh, food. I saw some of the brands involved with this, and I hate to say they're pretty major brands that I've even used. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but again, when they back when they were a smaller company before they got bought out by the big boys. Yeah. Well, according to a new international survey from Right Pet, dog owners say they get more satisfaction owning large dogs than small dogs. Hmm. Now, hmm, yeah. Now they say this is especially true for men and younger people, and the study was conducted online over an eight-year period between 2010 and 2018. They surveyed dog breed reviews from more than 12,000 pet parents in more than 100 different countries. And so uh, they also found some other things, uh, that both men and women are happier, for the most part, owning large dogs than small dogs. 
Uh, men and younger people are significantly, though, more satisfied with larger breeds. Older people around age 70 are equally satisfied. Doesn't matter to them. Any size dog. Doesn't matter. And dog owners with experience who've had both really large breed dogs and both, you know, tiny or toy sized dogs, um, they report that their greatest satisfaction was with the large dogs. So if you're like me, I'm thinking, hmm, why is this? So I yep, that's what I'm doing. I'm seeing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> why is everybody happier with large dogs or why is the majority of people happier? This study found a direct correlation between dog size satisfaction and the fact that dog owners rate bigger dogs as more emotionally stable, child safe, more trainable, and less barky than smaller less dogs. Less barky. I'm going to argue that. I'm going to argue this, Lori, because I think people put far more effort into training a large dog because they're concerned. And I think they let little dogs get away with murder because they don't want to discipline them. So I think this is a human thing. And I think we have created better behaved large dogs that we end up taking to more places that we take out on activities. And little dogs, we say, oh, you know, he's just going to stay home or he won't behave in the hotel or whatever. And I I think that's part of that. I I would argue that. I think that's an excellent point. It is. It is. Judy, you've had both You at, at different times. At different times in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I rather enjoy the small dog. You know, it's it's cheaper. But are you happier? I'm happy. She's, I can pick her up. <laughs> I can throw – she's washing wear. I put her in the sink. There's no drying. I can – everything's smaller. The clothes are small. Everything's cheaper. Medicines are cheaper. So you're, you're and, a happier person with a younger uh, – with a smaller yeah, dog. Yeah, and, and especially at this age. Yeah. I always worry about getting older, dealing with a big dog. If a dog becomes lame and needs help picking up, I won't physically be able to. So I like the fact that I can pick my dog up very easily with one hand. Uh, what about the macho factor? I've had some huge guys, bodybuilder guys, come in with little Frenchies, and they go, and hey, they have no shame. They love their little dog, and they own up to it. But you know, do do all people, men and women included, accept that little dog that you cater to, you dress up, and you treat like a baby, and say, hey, I love my little dog, and what do you got to say about it? You know what? We're not sizest here at uh, Animal Radio. We we like them any size, so, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio news update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. Hey, this is Big Ant from Rescue Inc., Remember, spay and neuter your animal, and abusers are losers. Now back to Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Well, this scrumptious serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the Grain-Free Red Barn Natural Scan Food for Dogs and Cats. Always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients to support your pets' optimal health. Learn more at redbarninc.com. And thanks, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. Hey, Kara, how are you doing? I'm good. Where are you calling from today? I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota. I love Minnesota. <laughs> I just love how you guys talk. What's going on? Um, okay, so I have a cat, and if I were to get another cat, well, then my my cat that I have now doesn't get along with that one. Like, she'll hiss, you know, poof her tail up, meow, and... 
I was wondering, is there like a way that I can, you know, get her to become friends if I wanted to get another cat or? So you have two cats already, and they're they're not getting along. No, I uh, I only have one, and okay. I want to get another one. Okay. All right. So, I mean, there's some definitely some big guidelines that I can give you, and I'll tell okay. you that the couple big mistakes that people do when they're adding a cat to the home. Number one is that they don't match the personalities of the cats. So okay. it is very, it's more important to match a personality to a like cat than it is of, say, the male-female thing. We don't really worry about that in cats. Dogs, we talk mm-hmm. about it. In cats, it doesn't matter if a male is with a female. What we want is the personality to be compatible. So if you have a very outgoing cat that's kind of an in-your-face, more aggressive cat in the sense that, you know, is more vocal, more mm-hmm. demanding, then you want a cat with a similar personality. What you do yeah, okay. want to get is a really kind of laid back, passive, um, not a very interactive cat because they're going to have more likeliness of problems. So that's the first thing okay. is really look for that same kind of personality. Now, I'm not saying go out and find an aggressive dog, a cat, but, but really just a cat that's more bold, outgoing, and that is less apt to have fear with uh, new situations. So that's the biggest thing. Um, the next thing that I'll tell you is that when you do add a new cat, the f- biggest mistake we make is that we push the kitties too fast together. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. cats, their their whole behavior and socialization, they move at a different pace than dogs do. So you, you really got to give them their space, introduce them gradually, and you want to okay. make sure that that's going to be done even with separation. So a cat might be in one part of the house, and then the other cat will be in the other part of the house. You switch bedding so they get used to each other's scents, and then we gradually put them together. That's the yeah, best okay. way to to let them get used to things. Now, the other thing I'm going to tell you is that if you've got an adult cat, you really should be looking for a young cat. Age does matter um, because that also helps to facilitate an introduction. If you've got a young cat that's coming in kind of on the bottom of the kitty totem pole, if you will, and Uh um, the adult cat um, will feel less threatened and the young cat is going to be less apt to want to kind of kind of take charge and Uh challenge in that situation. So so those are some of the really big things. Um, And then combining that with making sure you have, when you do get these guys in the same environment, that you have lots of resources for them. So resources for cats means lots of water bowls, food bowls, extra litter sites. So you should have at least three sites where these cats can have options in different areas of the house to eliminate. Mm -hmm. Um, So you want to kind of make sure that there's not a lot of competition, um, even in a physical sense where they have to cross over to one part of the house to get to that food bowl. Um, And then Mm -hmm. you'll have a, you know, a a happier feline household if there's less, uh, less things to argue and fight about. All right. Nope, that's it. Thank you. Thanks for calling, Carl. Send us pictures. We want to see this brand new addition to your family, okay? (laughs) Okay, thanks. 1-866-405-8405. That is toll free. Don't forget you can see these pictures and everything we're talking about during the week over at the website and on our Facebook page at Animal Radio. And, of course, the Animal Radio app. Can't say enough about that. Download it. It's free. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. 
Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our furry friends. We'll go back to the phones, one 405 8405 in just a couple of minutes. But first, we're going to visit with the, well, he was the author of Does It Fart? And now his follow-up, <laughs> True or Poo, the definitive field guide to filthy animal facts and falsehoods. Relax, Dr. Debbie. Chill I cannot wait. I love this kind of stuff. You know it. <laughs> Nick Caruso is joining us. Hi, Nick. Hi, how are you doing? Very good. So your new book, uh, obviously filled with filthy facts. Let's get right down to brass and tacks right now what's the filthiest fact in the book i guess it depends on your comfort level but perhaps what i've heard from some people one that tends to get people is that there are uh mites on your face right now there are microscopic mites uh living in and near your your pores so that that tends to get people a little little squeamish I heard that we eat a lot of spiders when we sleep. That, no, the, I, I say that's poo. I say that's not true. Wait, is it true or poo? That is poo. Um, oh, good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You've probably eaten more spiders in your food. Oh, that's comforting. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not when you sleep. I like not it. When I sleep. So I should be aware of it, huh? Yeah, just not not that many. Maybe maybe a couple in your lifetime, but it's not a it's not a regular occurrence, which makes sense, you know. But, we're big, loud, and and uh, spiders don't tend to want to go near our mouths. You know, I was ha- I was looking at the the ingredients of these uh, drink flavors that I have. Oh, I knew you were going there, Hal. I understand that some of these drink flavors and ice cream flavors are made from ingredients from a beaver's butt. Is it is that correct? That's poo. That's got to be true. It, it can be, but it's probably not because it's so expensive to milk. Uh, their glands to extract <laughs> it. Uh, so it's it's more of a delicacy, beaver butt. Oh, wait a second. Why would anybody eat an ice cream flavor called beaver butt? Well, they don't know. It's actually, yeah. it's a flavor. Well, and apparently it's it's poo. That's a myth. And the internet has lied to me all my life. Yeah. It, it's possible it's there, but it's just so expensive to manufacture that it's it's probably not. But So, Nick, you're saying that, that beaver butt stuff, whatever it is, would taste good? I actually don't. I mean, I assume I've eaten it just like everyone else at some point, uh, and it tastes like vanilla, like it smells. Um. Oh. Well, all I can think of is in the, in the pet world, we have anal sacs that we deal with. That's so pretty anal, much any anal sacs. Anal sacs, and you know they're like a, a scent gland. So I'm just only presuming that a beaver, you know, has some anal sac material. And I have to say, there are different scents of anal sac material, and I can name them for you. There are different scents, and dogs have different things. So maybe beaver butt anal material is quite a delicacy. From what I've heard, it smells quite good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's. Can we move on from the? Uh... <laughs> From that, are you, are you sure? You know, so far it's all been poo. I, I don't hear yeah, any what's truths. truths? Uh, what's some truths of this stuff? So some some fascinating facts. There's a uh, there's a species of, of tree shrew that that will poo inside of a pitcher plant, and that's how it gets its nitrogen. Okay, mm-hmm. repeat that again. <laughs> there's a species of tree shrews that they actually you know pitcher tree, plants typically tree, trap tree insects. What? Shrews. 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 
Okay, it that's true? a bird, right? It's a mammal. Okay, it's a mammal. A tree shrew. Mm-hmm. Okay. They defecate inside into pitcher plants, which normally people associate those with trapping insects hmm. um, for to, to gain nutrients, but they actually gain their nitrogen and other nutrients through digesting the feces of this tree shrew. Wow. That's uh, that's fascinating. <laughs> Go, go ahead, Dr. Debbie. It seemed like you had a question. You know what? I was just going to say that, you know, maybe they're getting special service or maybe it's like a bidet for the shrew after <laughs> they've done the, the little dookie there. Then maybe they're getting something else out of it that they've chosen that spot. So or maybe it's very um, you know reclusive and hiding. And so they feel like they have privacy. And who doesn't like a little privacy when they go to? <laughs> they do get a little extra something. The uh, They're able to eat nectar. Actually, while they're while they're going, so it's kind of a bathroom and food break for them. Oh, who wants to eat a cheeseburger in a bathroom? <laughs> Elvis. Yeah. Elvis. Oh. Okay. Wait. I want to know: Is it true or poo that a scorpion that sheds its tail dies of constipation? Oh, that's that's a, that's not, that's poo. Right? That's poo. That's no poo? poo. No, that's true. That's, that's true. true. Wow. <laughs> so I think we think of animals that can shed their tails, like lizards, and right. And salamanders, uh, they can regrow them back, and it's no problem because uh, their their cloaca, where they defecate, is isn't located on their tail. Uh, but for scorpions, their anus is actually on their tails. So if they lose that tail, they lose the ability to go number two. Um, so it just keeps building up and building up, and then they die. Um, it is a, a defense mechanism, just like lizards. You know, they can. Uh, escape a predator. Well, it doesn't do any good to escape a predator if you're going to (laughs) die. Well, it does give them a little bit longer. They can survive surprisingly long um, while not going to the bathroom. Um, But it does give them, you know, a few more opportunities to hopefully mate. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta let them go with something to live for, right? The, the book. I had to look up tree shrew, you guys. Yeah, it looks here. like a squirrel with with a, a pointier nose. See? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. I never. I've never heard of that. It all makes sense now. Yeah. The book is called <laughs> True or Poo: The Definitive Field Guide to Filthy Animal Facts and Falsehoods. I'm going to give out nine copies right now. Is that okay? I have ten books. I I want oh, one. Okay, we're going to yeah. give out. I get it. Yeah. You I see how that it. works? I do. A True or Poo. The Definitive Field Guide to Filthy Animal Facts and Falsehoods. If you want a copy right now, toll-free, 1-866-405-8405. Thanks, Nick, for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thank you. This is Animal Radio, baby. Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Miles. Americans love their SUVs, and now they have a high-performance SUV that goes 0 to 60 miles an hour in just 4.4 seconds. The Dodge Durango SRT has the best quarter-mile time for a three-row SUV, best-in-class towing at 8,700 pounds. Powered by a monstrous 6.4-liter Hemi V8 engine, it is more than capable on the track. It also has creature comforts like flip-down rear entertainment screens and captain's chairs for easy access into the third row. To see the Durango, go to OurAutoExpert.com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Celebrating the connection with our pets. 
This is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Well, last hour here on Animal Radio, we learned that mercury is ever-present in our cat food and pet foods, which is not a surprise, to me at least. I've heard it before. We've had people on before. Lori Brooks reported last hour about a new research that's being done in Reno, Nevada, and they need your help. Yeah, at the university there. It's crowdsourcing that they're, they're, they're going to now because nobody's going to, no pet food company that can afford this kind of research is going to say, here, tell us what's really in the food that we're making for you. That's, yeah, no, they, not, that's not going to happen. They pay people to lobby against that kind of information and research. But it's right. the kind of testing that means the most, um, you know, because if you can't, if you can't believe what's on the ingredient list, then every other claim is boohoo. Mm. So true. So what do you do? What can you do? We're going to find out. Dr. Judy Morgan's going to be joining us. She wrote a book called Yin and Yang Nutrition for Dogs, Maximizing Health with Whole Foods and Not Drugs. She thinks you should cook for your dog, which sounds like a long process for me. I mean, uh, you know what? I used to cook for my pets. Did and you? I, yeah. And I, I mean, I've had horses and dogs and cats and everything. And I, I don't cook for myself or for other humans, but I have always found great joy in making, whether it was grain buckets for horses or fast bearsy casserole for dogs. Um, I thought it was fun. Really? Oh, good. It, it, yeah. I guess you can, you know, make a big batch that can last a few days. Yeah. So it's not like you have to do it, you know, three times right. a day. Well, she wrote a book, this big old book here, and I'm going to actually give this to you, Lori, since you're the cooker here. Thank and you. Take a gaze through it and tell me uh, if there's anything that looks good in there and, and if, any, if there's anything I should try. I, I'm looking okay. at some pictures here. They actually look good, yummy I, for humans. I bet you could share. I bet you could. Oh, look at that. That looks really good. Uh, chicken and some squash, some asparagus and sprouts. Uh, oh, here's some a seafood okay, dish. Al, okay. Put that book That's away. on the way. We're going to have copies for <laughs> you hungry. later today right here on Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on for this hour? You know, I am constantly amazed at the different services that are coming out for dogs, cats, for pets of any kind, really, because they are, they truly are part of the family now, and the rest of the world is getting that, what we felt for so long. Mm -hmm. So there's a great new business. I mean, people have these Einstein ideas that I could make money on this. They put it into action, and they do. So New York City has this great new um, idea brand new kind of business on the streets there in New York City. And it's soon going to be spreading across the country to all other major cities. But we'll tell you how you can benefit from this new service, okay? That's on the way. And we go to your calls right now. Toll free, 1-866-405-8405. Oh, don't forget, you can also ask your questions from the free Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. So download that puppy now. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Where are you calling from today? Uh, Monrovia, California. Listen, I understand you have something going on with your animal, dog, cat. I have a dog. Okay. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> okay, well, she's a, um, a nine-year-old, um, about 80-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback mix. Wow. And she had eaten about 20 green bell tomatoes and Ooh. resulting in seizures. Oh, my. Tomatoes can and... cause seizures? I did not know that. Yes. Now, so um, where is she at now? Is she in a, a veterinary clinic? 
No, it happened end of July. We noticed her first seizure, and so and then we noticed another one. We ended up taking her to the emergency um, clinic at night, and mm-hmm. uh, they said it was probably that. It's from solanine, which is in the green tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Brought her back home, went to see the doctor. She's on phenobarbital right now, and then it wasn't quite controlling all of them, so she was placed on Valium. Okay. Yeah, now I'd have to say, without having re-ingestions, now I, I'll back up here, solanine and, and the, the concern with uh, green tomatoes, um, raw potatoes even, and all the greens that are involved with the tomato plant and the potato plant contain toxins that can cause all sorts of things. Um, sometimes it'll cause vomiting diarrhea, sometimes it'll be a matter of causing really severe depression, heart arrhythmias. Some cases it'll cause kidney failure or seizures, so it has different effects. Um, it, it it would be a bit unusual to have a sustained, ongoing seizure problem as a result of this toxicity back in July. Um, if she were re-ingesting and having the opportunity to get into more, um, I might be able to make a case that that's in some way related to things at this point. Um, so I'm not sure. Um, I would say it would be unlikely that that's still going on from there. Um, oh. are, are the um, Is the phenobarbital seeming to control things, or you're just touching it up with the Valium to help out? Yeah, the... Just like you said, the Valium to help out. They're not okay. grand mal seizures. Um, they're kind of um, milder ones. Uh, she gets okay. weak and uh, drooling. Okay. And, and is she having a possible re-exposure? Is she getting into these things again? Oh, no, not at all. We've uh, definitely closed off that area. I I didn't even know about this problem with green tomatoes. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I had given her some because I thought she liked them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I feel terrible about that. But, you know, I, I read somewhere that they're fat-soluble, this toxin, not water-soluble. So that's why I thought, oh, it's going to take longer for it to get out of the body. Yeah, and I have never heard of um, a, a pet having this delayed of a, a seizure-type response with that. Um, so, no, I, I can't say that that's very likely. Now, there are some other good anticonvulsants we can add in. And the, the tough thing with Valium is it's just so short-term. It doesn't really give us preventative uh, seizure protection. So if phenobarbital isn't doing it well enough, a lot of times there's other ones like uh, potassium bromide that we can add in as a secondary anti-seizure medicine to help get better control. Um, and that might be something to, to look at for your kid um, to see if that kind of helps control it. Because even if a seizure is in a grand mal seizure where they're falling over and drooling and losing control of their bodily functions, it's still not good. So we would want to try our best to try to help um, control that a bit more thoroughly. Um, So I I might see about looking into that. And, uh, you know, and definitely, you know, like I said, uh, making sure there's nothing else that she's getting into as far as any other toxins or any problems with that. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. She's one of those dogs that, you know, eats eats everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> One of those dogs, oh. most dogs. Well, you know, Ridgebacks are. They're, they're very inquisitive. And, and I'll tell you, with my Labradors, it, it, anything goes when it comes to them. If it has the, the inkling of a, an odor of food that's been sitting next to it, um, oh. that product is going to be eaten. So, yeah. Well, my best wishes to you, Susan. And I, I hope you get some control of those seizures. But um, polypharmacy is what we call when we add in these secondary um, seizure medications. So um, I, I would definitely advocate that.
Thanks for your call, Susan. Now, this is for only green tomatoes, because I know taco night is the big night for Ladybug, the studio stunt dog. She loves to eat the tomatoes, and we, we free feed her tomatoes. Is that okay? On, is that okay? Yes, and that's the thing. With the with this type of toxicity, green tomatoes, unripe tomatoes, contain the toxins. As the tomato ripens, it, it decreases. So um, the fully ripe red you know, tomatoes are perfectly fine. That's not any concern. However, the plant could be still a problem for um, mm. a dog if they got into that and chewed on that. And what about potatoes? Potatoes can actually do the same thing. So the potato plants and um, raw potatoes. So if a dog ate enough raw potatoes, we could run into that. And it has to do with the eyes and the little growths that come, you know, off the, the potatoes. Okay. Very good. Good to know. I shouldn't be free feeding my dog any of this stuff anyway, right? But she just has those puppy. I know what they mean by puppy eyes. She looks up at me, Dad, a little bit of taco, please. <laughs> well, hi, Lynn. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Where are you today? Yeah, I'm in South Lake Tahoe. Oh, listening on KOWL? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. Hold on for one second here. Let me... Can you come back in? Dr. Debbie just went to get a drink of water. Okay. <laughs> are you... Okay, there you go. She needed to I'm hydrate here. there. It's actually Diet Coke, and, and that's my vice. <laughs> <laughs> How can no, we help mine's you? Diet, mine's Diet Pepsi. Oh, Diet Pepsi is um, your advice? Yeah. Well, you know what? I just um, I had talked to my my vet, but we have a puppy, an Australian Shepherd, and I just wondered what you recommend um, age wise to get him neutered. Okay. I was told like five to six months, but I wondered if there's things that you know should his testicles have dropped by then? Um, you know, he still doesn't lift his leg pin. He's more like a what? No. Okay. In general, I'd say that my veterinary recommendation is about six months for the castration surgery. Um, that's before we start to see the bad behaviors, um, marking around the house, um, a little bit pushy dominance or aggressive behaviors. Um, as far as um, in our community, you know, we have one of those laws that says that you have to neuter your dog and cat by four months of age. And... Um, I, I don't dispute the law, but I would say my preference is six months. And uh, for some things like, uh, you know, testicles, yes, they ought to be dropped by six months. But actually, those little suckers should be falling on those puppy visits. So usually on the three-month, the four-month visits, if those testicles aren't there, then I maybe get a little concerned. But by six months, they should be in their normal position. If they're not, that might be a condition called cryptorchidism, where the testicle doesn't drop normally. Um, not that we would wait necessarily longer, just means we have a little abnormality to deal with. Uh, but um, as far as neutering-wise, you said he's five months right now? He's six months. Oh, he's six months. So, yeah, I think he's old enough to sign up. And if he's not lifting his leg, um, I don't know that waiting longer may necessarily help him. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a hormone-driven behavior. A lot of times it's learned from other dogs around him. So might okay. help to take him to the dog park and let him watch some of the big boys and um, you know he might pick up that behavior <laughs> otherwise it okay. might just be a little bit more time and he'll he'll find it um what you said earlier it is better to do it before he shows signs of uh, aggressive behavior so absolutely yeah okay. and i found i found some people that actually wait because they're waiting to see those signs and oh. actually behaviorally we can avoid so many more problems if we don't allow that to actually happen in the first place so yeah i, I would i would endorse the old snip snip for your friend <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> 
Thank you so much. Thanks Have for listening. Day. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Every day, you strive for faster, easier, and less messy. So wouldn't you want the same experience for your dog? Bissell understands the challenges of bathing your furry friend and the even bigger mess it can create. The Bissell Bark Bath is an all-in-one system for pet parents, eliminating the frustrations and messy cleanup that is inevitable when washing your four-legged family members. Bathing your dog is faster, easier, and less messy with the Bissell Bark Bath. Visit GetBarkBath.com to learn more. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Dr. Debbie, would you ever cook for your pets? Uh, no, I don't think so. Is I mean, I love bit, them. It's a time thing, though, right? I mean, it's not that you would. Yeah. I, I, you know, when my chef is out of town, <laughs> my husband, um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty much reduced to things in the freezer. Um, or things that I can do a drive through, um, to pick up on the way home. Cause I, I just you. don't do it. You know, it's just not fun to cook and it's not cook, fun to cook for yourself. Exactly. I'm with you, Dr. Debbie. Same thing. Do you have any concerns about what's in your pet's food? Oh, I sure do. Yeah. I mean, there's always things that are coming up that we are assuming that standards are being followed and we hope that companies are doing those. And when they're found to not be doing that, I think we need to have that information come out so that we can have a higher standard that is means something that's really followed. Sure. Well, you know, the labeling of these foods are crazy. They, they don't necessarily have the ingredients that are in the foods. And of course, they show pictures of this filet mignon steak or uh, these fresh vegetables, and it's never like that. It's A lot of these foods uh, come from uh, other dead animals, dead carcasses, diseased animals. Now they're saying the foods that we feed our animals have heavy metals in them, like mercury. Mm. And that, you know, all kinds of health issues come from that. And you see this all the time. And when, when have you seen an animal die from natural causes lately? And, of course, natural causes is a real a subjective term. But, I mean, it's yeah, always like, like kidney disease or something. Well, cancer is a natural cause, but there can be environmental triggers as well. Okay. And that's where it gets really muddy. And the waters, you know, that's why it's so hard with um, pet foods to say this food caused this disease, unless it's a clear toxicity, deficiency, um, or something of that nature it's really hard because you can't study that effect six years down the road and know if that food you fed five years ago is really what caused this problem for your pet so i and i i I feel strongly that a lot of pet foods are marketed to people emotionally and we're really not talking about what the nitty-gritty is so we're more worried about things like oh is it grain free is it natural is it organic and really we're not talking about the things that can really implicate serious health problems so um hopefully she can help us shift that conversation and that is Dr. Judy Morgan, and she is around the corner right here on Animal Radio. Lori, what are you working on for this hour? Oh, gosh. You all know I love cats, like you, Hal. And not as, well, I do. I love cats. You love cats. But I, I got to be honest with you. There's some new research out that says um, something that, that cats are actually famous for, <laughs> that they're not really as good as we thought they were oh i heard this this report yes i heard this report okay i'm glad you're reporting on this but uh i gotta defend the cat lovers around here okay i just i don't want any cat bashing here on animal radio i'm gonna stand strong against the cat bashing okay okay hi bob welcome to animal radio how you doing very good i have dr debbie right here for you well hi bob how you doing 
I'm doing pretty good. What kind of critter you got? Furry, uh, feathered, slithering? <laughs> uh, it's furry. It's a uh, three-year-old uh, golden retriever. Okay, wonderful. What's going on? Well, he was getting these, uh, I don't know if you know what they are. They're called, uh, they're like little spurs, uh, foxtails. Okay. He was getting them between his toes. So my son took the trimmers and trimmed the hair between his toes. We trim one of them too short, and it, you know, it uh, nicked it and got got a sore on there. Okay. And he he kept licking it, and it kept wasn't getting any better. So my wife's been soaking it and putting stuff on it, and it's gotten better. But then it got a, like a big blister on it. Okay. And my son popped the blister. I guess some clear, bloody clear liquid came out, but it hadn't come back. But we wonder if there's anything else that we can do for it or if that's the best stuff we're doing, what we're doing. Yeah. With what you're describing here, Bob, I think there's two things that I that I might look at with him. Number one is that in many cases, these foxtails, they burrow in, and part of it is kind of above the surface, and the other part is like an iceberg. It's underneath the water, underneath the skin surface. So it's very possible he could still have some of that embedded in there, and that's just going to fester until we can get that surgically yanked out of there um and i'm always impressed by the ability of foxtail these little seed parts to just kind of working their way into the body and and really just kind of putting their arms up against the door jam and saying "Uh uh-uh i'm not going anywhere (laughs) so um so really i'd have to encourage you to get that looked at to see if we need to do a little minor surgery on that to get that out um this the second thing that's really important when we get these kind of festering sores is soaking is great but he's probably going to need some antibiotics um when we break down that skin barrier and you've got an open sore you know it's just standard of care for these kind of things to to get the baby on some antibiotics to help that heal from the inside out and i think with those two things then you'll have a chance of getting things to heal up but uh, yeah they can really be buggers and um you know even just other areas of the feet um so if you haven't i'm sure you've already looked around but uh common places this past week and this past month my gosh we've had them out of dogs eyeballs um wow. we've had them come out of vaginal areas of dogs uh, yesterday i took one out of a prepuce of a dog believe it or not it migrated through Horrible stuff. My, so um, my, daughter's, do it. my daughter's dog swallowed one. Had to go to the vet and put her, yes. you know, the, put her under to get get it out. Absolutely, that will wow. migrate through the digestive tract yeah. and basically kind of cause abdominal peritonitis basically so yeah some bad stuff so i i I do a a nose to tail search really from uh, inside the ears inside the oral cavity all the feet lift the tail look at all the private parts and those are really the places where these foxtails like to live and just kind of fester so um so i'd definitely get your little fellow over to the vet and see if we need to go poking around in that uh that sore a little bit all right well i appreciate it Thanks for your call today, Bob. Yes, antibiotics, very important with that. And, boy, those foxtails, it seems like every year we battle those here at the studios. The cats go out in the cattery and they roll around and get those. Oh, yeah, we had one of our cats that actually, I guess, got it in its mouth and its cheek. The whole side of her face was swollen. Caused an abscess? Yeah, and we had to take her in and get it drained, and they actually found the foxtail embedded in there. I didn't realize that was a problem everyone had, but I guess you see a lot of that over at the clinic, don't you? Oh, yeah. You know, it's all over. It doesn't matter where you live in the country. These things are are pretty much everywhere. 
Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Miles. Our team has been test driving Mazda's smallest CUV, the CX-3. All Mazdas have that zoom-zoom driving feeling, and it's thrilling to drive the new CX-3 on the road. The number of cool extras this car comes with makes it an absolute consideration in class. Add in the fact that it starts under $21,000, and you can get up to 34 miles a gallon on the highway, and you definitely have something that should be on your small SUV consideration list. To see the Mazda CX-3, go to OurAutoExpert.com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. There's a new law that's going to go into effect soon in California, granting judges the authority to settle disagreements over who gets to keep the family pet in divorce cases. Uh, Those cases will now be handled the same way, pretty much that judges handle child custody disputes. Until now, pets have, you know, been considered property. We talk about that a lot. Property, uh, you know, a status that gives them little more standing in a divorce than uh, the refrigerator or a big screen TV. However, under this bill signed by California's governor this month, pets will soon be considered community property, meaning a judge who is deciding this case, who gets custody of the pet, will have the option of weighing factors such as who feeds them and who takes care of them, who takes them to the vet, who takes the pet on walks, and who protects them. In the past, sometimes judges said that they would actually physically put the pet in the middle of the room between the two owners and try to determine which pet parent that the animal liked best. Not always effective, but that new law is going to go into effect in a few months on January 1st. The number of unique new services created for pets and their humans continues to soar, skyrocket. In New York City, there's now a pet-friendly car service that caters to pet parents who are otherwise uh, turned down by taxis or other kinds of car services. This is really a lifesaver for pet parents who can't squeeze their 70-pound dog into a little bag and hop on the subway. The business is called Spot On, and all you have to do is go to the spoton.pet website or use their app and schedule a pickup, but it has to be one hour before you need to be picked up. Each car arrives and is wiped down with antibacterial wipes in between rides and has uh, pet amenities like water, these antibacterial wipes, lint rollers for the dog hair on you, backseat covers, crash-tested uh, animal carriers, and even treats for dogs and cats. Now, in addition, Spot On will take any size dog, cat, or small pet and their drivers The company's drivers are trained in pet first aid and CPR certified, plus they can transport your pet to appointments for you when you're too busy to take them yourself. Uh, Luckily for everyone, the company says it has plans to expand soon to all major U.S. cities. Finally, the evidence shows that cats are overrated as rat predators. There's a new first-of-its-kind study out, and scientists in it tracked interactions between feral cats and local rat populations. Using microchips to track the movements of rodents, they found that rats are pretty adept when it comes to avoiding cats. Over the course of the 79-day study, scientists recorded 
only two rat deaths that were actually caused by cats. Their findings, which were published this month in the journal Frontiers in Ecology and Evolution, confirmed their suspicions that the presence of cats doesn't really shrink rat populations, but may make the rats less visible. That's all. The study explains that people see fewer rats and assume it's because the cats have killed them, whereas it's actually due to the rats changing their behavior. The rats are hiding in better places and staying longer amounts of time in their burrows. Furthermore, the results of the study suggest that the benefits of releasing cats far outweigh the risks to smaller wildlife, like birds especially. So basically rats are smarter than birds, huh? Is that what we're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And you said it, not me. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at animalradio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's uh, Animal Radio. This is where we celebrate the connection with our pets. We'll go back to the phones for your calls for Dr. Debbie in just a couple of minutes. Toll free. The numbers are 1-866-405-8405. You can call now and uh, Judy will get you in queue to talk to her or to Joey Volani, either one. Or to Ladybug the Studio Stunt Dog. Or to, to Lori Brooks, our news director, who just reported that there's mercury in our pet food. Exactly. <sighs> you know what? I shouldn't be surprised, should I? Yeah. Uh, probably not. Right now, how apropos, we have Dr. Judy Morgan joining us. Hi, doctor. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Your new book called Yin and Yang, Nutrition for Dogs, Maximizing Health with Whole Foods and Not Drugs. Obviously, I, I assume you're a holistic veterinarian or do you practice uh, East-West? What is your philosophy? I, I'm an integrated veterinarian. So I practice traditional medicine, which I practiced for many years before I became alternative And so now I incorporate traditional medicine along with traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, chiropractic, acupuncture, herbal therapy, and my favorite of all, food therapy. Food therapy. So that's like uh, instead of drugs, using food to uh, help an animal get through something? Absolutely. So about 80% of the cases that I see, I am able to either minimize their drugs or completely get them off medications just with diet changes, sometimes adding some herbs. But, you know, really herbs are just another form of food. And food has amazing, amazing powers for healing. And we, we, they're often overlooked. Before we talk about some of the foods that you put together, can you tell us What's in our pet food that we buy on the on the shelves in stores? Oh my goodness, there's so many things in the foods that we should be concerned about. So the FDA just a couple of weeks ago came out with a statement that said pentobarbital in pet food, which is euthanasia solution, may be a bigger problem than they really realized. Really? Because we've known that pentobarbital is showing up in our pet food since the 1990s. And the reason that occurs is because FDA does not enforce their own law that states that only animals that have died by slaughter can be used for pet food. And so they are allowing animals that died out in the field, animals that were euthanized, um, any sort of 
carcass to be used in pet food, and they won't enforce their own law. So we know that there are euthanized animals being found in pet food. Last year, when there was a huge problem with one brand that killed some dogs, they found it was pentobarbital, and they found horse meat DNA in a product that was labeled as beef. So we know that a lot of the foods out there are adulterated. So pentobarbital is just one of the things. Heavy metals are another huge issue. And, you know, poor quality ingredients. Many, many waste foods from the human food industry are going into pet food. So recycled oils, um, the, you know, uh, brewers distilled grains, you know, basically a lot of fillers that are waste products for the human industry go into pet food. And so the the materials are getting recycled. Um, But I don't personally don't think that my pets should be the landfill. Sure, sure. You know what uh, concerns me? I have people that call me all the time and they say, well, that doesn't affect me because I I buy this premium food. (laughs) You know, it's like the, the line's most expensive food on the shelf. Right. I was just thinking this. But, but aren't they really sourced from the same places? Isn't it the same crap? A lot of them are. So the food that had the pentobarbital that killed dogs that had, you know, horse meat DNA on their website, it said all human grades sourced from USDA wow. meat. So you can't trust the websites. Um, the other problem that we're having right now is that everybody thinks that grain-free is better. And unfortunately, we are seeing dogs that are succumbing to dilated cardiomyopathy. And it has been traced back to a problem with taurine deficiency in these diets. And it even if the diet is not deficient, for some reason, the legumes and potatoes are blocking the absorption and utilization of the taurine. So we have dogs going into heart failure, and the owners are saying, oh, I feed that really expensive grain-free kibble. It's supposed to be so good for my dog, except that it's not. Is there any commercial pet food that is good for our pets? There are some. Um, there, I, I have not seen a kibble um, that I could endorse. Um, I am a raw feeder for my own dogs. I either feed raw or home-cooked, and I do make a lot of my own foods. There are a very select few companies that I know personally. I know the owners personally. I've gone to their plants. I've seen where they source their meats. There's a couple that I trust, but not many. Oh, tell who are they, because I want to know. Oh, I I didn't know I was allowed to mention brands. Um, Answers Pet Food is phenomenal. It's two sisters who own the company. They're located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's a raw food company. They ferment all their products so that they don't have to ever worry about bacterial contamination. Their probiotic load, their good bacteria load is so high. Uh, Another small raw food company that I adore is All Provide, and they are out of um, Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, So those are two companies that I really like. And I said that there were no kibbles that I could endorse. I could, could, if push came to shove, feed Karna 4 um, because I know the owner of that company. I know know what they're doing, and they are out of Canada. Here's the thing is, I, like you, I knew some owners of companies that were making uh, (laughs) food on a small-scale basis and shipping it across the country. And then they got real popular, and the big companies bought them out, and all of a sudden— Once that happens, it's down the tube, always. 
Okay. <laughs> you know what? We got to take a quick break. We are with Dr. Judy Morgan. We're talking about the food that uh, we're feeding your pets. You know, what are they eating? It's apparently not that good, the stuff you get off the shelves. She cooks for her pets, and we're going to find out what she cooks coming up next right here on Animal Radio. Stick around. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. If Ernest Hemingway was alive today, would he say this to you? Shakespeare, Mark Twain, Edgar Allan Poe, all great writers. And after reading your book, I simply must add you to the list. Wait, you don't have a book yet. So make a free call to Page Publishing. Their expert staff can help you turn your book idea into a real book, a masterpiece that could someday make the bestseller list in hard copy and digitally all across the world. Page Publishing can help you completely take your idea for a book, write it, and publish it. So if you want to join the ranks of some of the most famous authors in the world, call now for a free information kit. Turn your book idea into publishing gold. Make a free call right now to Page Publishing. 888-785-0618. That's 888-785-0618. Hi, it's Alan Cable with your Because We Love Our Pets Watch. Arizona safety tyrant Matthew tries to tough it out in a car with the windows rolled up in the summer heat to illustrate what it would be like for your dog. It's only been about two minutes. This is ultimately what it feels like to be a dog trapped inside of a car on a hot day. It's 120 degrees in that car. While their owner is probably in a grocery store. Six minutes. I seriously couldn't imagine leaving my dog in a car like this. Tyron has to bail after just eight minutes. Here's something important to remember about dogs. They can't sweat. The only way they release heat is through the bottom of their paws and by panting. So the heat is way tougher for them to handle than us. On a 90-degree day, even with the windows rolled down partially, the temperature inside a parked car can quickly reach 120 degrees. And 105 degrees is the critical mark for a dog. Their organs will start to fail at that temperature. If you see a dog in a hot car, every second counts. Dial 911 immediately. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio, celebrating the connection with our pets. All our pets are around here in the studio. They're all hungry. They, they hear the conversation. They know it's about food. Well, for <laughs> Ladybug, it's word. always about food. Yeah, F-O-O-D, which he knows how to spell now. I, yes. I don't even know why I do that. <laughs> Might as well learn another language now. We are with Dr. Judy Morgan. Do you, you consider yourself a holistic vet? I do. Okay. And you make your own food for your dogs. And uh, I got to first say that I don't know if I have enough time in the day to do that. When you hear that argument, how do you usually respond? So I, I did a video yesterday. I was in the grocery store and I was doing compa- comparison of buying fresh whole foods to make a stew for my dogs versus what was available on the grocery store shelves. And I was able to get enough whole foods to make about a 12-pound crockpot stew for my pets for less per pound than everything on the shelf except for the really bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. So, and that's, you know, cheaper than the grocery store stuff, which we know is cheaper than what you're getting in the pet stores. So I took it home. I looked at the clock when I started chopping everything up and throwing it in the pot. It took me 30 minutes. So I had to go to the grocery store anyway. 
So 30 minutes to prep enough food for 12 pounds of food. Now, I happen to have eight dogs in our house, so it's not going to last me that long. But for somebody (laughs) with one dog or a couple of dogs, that could last you quite a while. Now, if I'm grinding raw food for my pets and I want to have – we go through about 270 pounds of food per month for our dogs. So, you know, if I'm really in the zone, I will stand there and grind in, you know, hour to two hours. I can grind 120 pounds of food. So, so you know, for me, it's like, well, Sunday afternoon, sure, my pets are worth that because then I know what they're eating. <laughs> See, I'm always concerned if I go and will I provide a, a balanced diet if I buy these ingredients from the store or will there be any supplements that I will need to add in addition to these vegetables? Like mercury or heavy metal. <laughs> no, 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 not those, not those. <laughs> no, there are things that we need to add. And uh, the, a couple of the biggest things that I see that people leave out of their diets is that our animals have a higher calcium requirement and they have to have more calcium than phosphorus. Meat is higher in phosphorus, so it's the the wrong ratio. So we do need to add a calcium supplement. Very simple to do. If you're feeding raw, then I just grind up the bone and include that in there. I can grind up eggshells and I can use those, or I can buy a commercial vitamin mineral supplement that is made specifically for homemade diets. You don't want to use just a generic, like one a day type vitamin for them. It needs to be a specifically made for homemade cooking. So there's a couple brands on the market, since we, I can say brands. RX Vitamins makes canine minerals. They also make a feline minerals. Dr. Dobias makes one called Green Min, and that provides all of that. And the other thing that I find is low commonly is vitamin D, because we get vitamin D from egg yolks and from fish. So if you're including egg yolks or fish in your diets, you're going to be fine. If not, then we've got to get a vitamin D supplement. They only need, so my dogs are about 20 pounds, they only need 100 units of vitamin D. Most supplements that we find over the counter are like 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. So you may have to get an animal-specific one to get a low enough dose. So two supplements I may need to put in there, but I'm to the point now where I can do my diets without even needing the supplements. I know what I need to put in there, but that's why we wrote the book. And the book has in there, it has about 60 recipes. And then it also has a chapter on what you need to do to get the diet balanced. Mm. It's, it's a great book, by the way. Very Thank well you. done. Um, how are your pet's health? So I have a cat that's going to be 19 in February. Um, I have one dog who will be 18 in February, two that are turning 17 this month. Um, another one that's 15, two 14-year-olds. Uh, my mom's standard schnauzer is 15. So we have tons of old animals. I do happen to have my old cat and one of my old dogs have uh, lung cancer. Um, so, But they were just diagnosed in the past month. And I figure if we got to 17 and 18 before we found something like that, I, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm sad that we found it. But uh so, and all of mine are rescue dogs that came with very poor health. So we've managed to turn them around and um, make huge differences in their lives just with, really, with diet. The book is called Yin and Yang, Nutrition for Dogs, Maximizing Health with Whole Foods and Not Drugs. And I have uh, five copies to give away. Is that correct? No, make that four, Hal. <laughs> Three. Three, Wait, I got to put a stop to this. This, These are for the listeners, okay? We can all share one book. I can buy my own. (laughs) 
I'll buy one. Okay. one 405 8405 right now. And then, of course, you can head on over to Amazon and uh, look it up and order it straight from Amazon if you want. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs> thank you very much. Once again, it has flown by. we got to get on out of here. But if you need your fix during the week, head on over to animalradio.pet. There you'll see links to everything you've heard on today's show. Plus, you can also check out the Yorkshire Terriers, How to Be Your Dog's Best Friend. Also, the Shih Tzu version, the Pug version, and the Mini Schnauzer version. They are all Dr. Debbie's books. And if you own one of these animals, or should I say if they own you or you're their guardian, check out this manual. It's, a, it's like a how-to guide or a user's guide for these breeds. We'll see you next week for more Animal Radio right here. Have a great one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Animal Radio Network. Network.